0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter number one, the book of Romans chapter number one. We started last week our series, uh, walking through the book of Romans. I think it's going to be a wonderful study for us. Romans chapter number one, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one. Uh, in or near the seat around you, maybe in the back of the seat in front of you, perhaps in the back of the seat behind you. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word and follow along with us. Romans chapter number 1. We're going to read verse number 1 down to verse number 7. And in fact, if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter number 1, verse number 1, down to verse number 7. We'll start this morning with a question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There's a number of perspectives on who Jesus is. In fact, the number of opinions seems almost innumerable. Pilate called him a man without fault. Napoleon said he was the emperor of love. John Stuart Mill said he was a great guide for all of humanity. The Dalai Lama said he is the reincarnated Buddha. Nitschke said he is a fable. Gandhi said he is the innocent one. Gorbachev said he is the first socialist. while I appreciate all the comments, I think Thomas probably said it best when he said of Jesus, He is my Lord and my God. More songs have been sung to Him than anyone else. More paintings painted about Him than anyone else. More books written of Him Than anyone who's ever lived throughout the history of the world. In fact, ask almost anyone what their opinion of Jesus is, and they will tell you something good or bad. But I'm not asking them, I'm asking you who is Jesus? He was never married. He never had any children. He never ran for political office. He never oversaw a a large company. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his hometown. He never went to college. What's the big deal about Jesus? Now Paul tells us in our text. Verse number one. Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ. Well, there you go. Called to be an apostle. Separated unto the gospel of God. All those ideas we looked at last week. How that Paul said of himself, man, Christ is my master and I am his servant. Paul said, man, I've been given a mission to do in this world, and that is I'm called to be an apostle. And how that Paul was mandated to do this, he was separated unto the gospel of God, not his own gospel. The message of the gospel did not originate with Paul. It came from God himself. The gospel is exclusively God's. It belongs to him. It's of him, and it's about him. In fact, verse number two, which he had promised afore by his prophets... In the Holy Scriptures. The gospel was promised before the gospel ever got here. That's what he's saying. What is the gospel about? Or who is the gospel about? Look at verse number three. This is where we'll spend the bulk work of our time this morning. The gospel of God, verse number one, verse three, concerning. What is the gospel of God concerning? What is the gospel of God about? Who is the gospel of God about? Verse 3, Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made in the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared, Jesus was, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And by whom? It's like, that's a personal pronoun. So, so by whom? By Jesus Christ. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name among whom, Jesus, are ye also called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, use your word this morning in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Thank you for standing. Maybe may be seated. The Gospel of God, very simply put, the Gospel of God has to do with the Son of God. The Gospel of God has to do with the Son of God. And Paul tells us that the Gospel, the message of Christianity, is about Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, which is called Christ, was the Son of David according to the flesh, and He was the Son of God according to God's own will. Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? The greatest question that you will ever be asked and forced to answer is who do you say that That Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Who is He to you? Who should He be? Who will He be? Who has He been? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter number one that Jesus, the gospel of God concerning the Son, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every other religion in the world has a founder, whether that is Muhammad, or whether that is Buddha, or whether that is Confucius, that when it comes to the gospel, their founder says, this is what you must believe in order to know the gospel. This is what Muhammad says you must believe in order to know the Gospel. This is what Buddha says you must do in order to believe the Gospel. That is not the way it is in Christianity. Jesus does not say this is what you must believe in order to know the Gospel. Jesus says I am the way of which you know the Gospel. Jesus does not come and tell us the way of the gospel. Jesus does not come and say, this is how you learn about the gospel. Jesus says, the gospel is about me. And the way to God is through me. And the way to understand God is to understand me. Jesus does not just tell us about the gospel. Jesus shows us the very gospel of God itself. We see this in three ways in our text. And you have an outline so you can follow along with us because I want you to see this clearly in the Bible. Notice number one, the incomparable person of Christ. The incomparable person of Christ. Look at verse number three. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to His flesh. So Paul tells us two things about this one named Christ. He tells us first that he is fully God. That Jesus was 100% God. Jesus was God wrapped in flesh. And that is to say that Jesus was not a man who became God, but Jesus was God who became man. The Son of God existed long before He ever became the Son of David. In fact, you'll see it in the text, concerning His Son. So this is the Gospel of God concerning His Son. When Jesus was baptized, the the dove descends down to Jesus. The voice from heaven resounds from God our Father. And the voice says, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. That Jesus did not become a son of God, but that Jesus was, in fact, the son of God. That that means that he was already the son of God before he was born. He was perfect in his deity. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15 reads, Who? Speaking of Jesus. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now think about this. Genesis teaches us that we as mankind were made in the image of God. That man was made in God's image. But when it speaks of Jesus, it does not say that Jesus was made in God's image. Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There are certain things about you and me that teach us about the nature, the character of our God. But if you want to see what God is like, you must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that that man was created in God's image, but man is not God. Christ is God, and therefore He was not created by God. He is the Son of God. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, Paul says. There can be no mistake, but that the gospel concerns the eternal Son. Of the living God, who we understand to be the second person in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, and we believe in God the Holy Spirit. All three distinct, unique persons, but all of them one God. Not not, not, not one as in they all have the same mission, not one as in they all have the same idea, but one God Three very unique, distinct persons. He is the one who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son. But notice this, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And notice the back half of the phrase, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh. So what about the incomparable person? What makes Jesus so unique? He is fully God, but he is fully man. Jesus is 100% God, and Jesus is 100% man. It's not 50-50. He's 100% God, and he is 100% man. The Son of God became a man. A man did not become the Son of God, but the Son of God became a man, which was made, look at the phrase again, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh. That is to say that Jesus was born wrapped in flesh. He had a work to do. He had a mission to accomplish. And that work, that mission required that God's Son, the second person in the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, perfect deity, it required that He also became perfect humanity. Perfect in his deity, but also perfect in his humanity. That God did not choose a man and make him his son, but that he chose to make his eternal one and only son, Jesus Christ, a man. He was made the seed of David. You say, Pastor, why is this good news? This is why this is good news. Because all of the promises of the Old Testament depended on the coming of a Messiah into this world. That God made a promise or a covenant in which he said to David and to Abraham and to Adam and its traces all the way through the Old Testament that there would come a king forever who would rule and reign and conquer all of God's enemies and that would bring righteousness and peace and love and joy and that through this Messiah we could have a relationship with God. Look at the phrase, according to the flesh. Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us more insight on this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Look, 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 look. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus. What mind was in Jesus? That even though Jesus was equal with God, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness as a man. That Jesus became a man, perfect in his humanity, fully man. let that, letter be in your outline. I want you to notate it. It says, Crucial to understand who the person of Jesus is. That Jesus is not some sort of spiritual Tinkerbell, by and by, floating around in the sky, but that Jesus entered into our world. God with us. Emmanuel. It's what we celebrated at Christmas time. It's what we celebrate all throughout the year. God with us. Jesus Christ. God wrapped Himself in human flesh. This was the promise given to Adam in the garden. This was the promise given to Abraham. This is the promise given to David. This is the promise fulfilled in the deliverance of the law and the temple. This was the promise that the prophets prophesied of when they said that a Messiah would come. This is what Jesus Christ himself fulfilled. And then when he left, he gave his Holy Spirit to fill and indwell our hearts. And one day, really soon, the cra- the sky cracks open and Jesus calls all those who have believed on him to be with him forever. This is a beautiful promise in the Bible. And he fulfilled it. He accomplished it. He worked it according to his own eternal plan. The incomparable person of Christ. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. He is fully God. Fully man for us. You want more proof? John chapter one, verse number one. In the beginning, the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse fourteen. The word became. Flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is speaking directly to the person and work and mission and plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was born into David's family. He was born into a kingly heritage. But it was a kingly heritage of obscurity. It didn't look like royalty. It didn't seem like royalty, but it was royalty. It didn't look like history changing, but Paul says it in fact was kingdom changing concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made the seed of David according to the flesh. And you look at the person named Christ and you say, wow, some king some kingdom it looks as if his life comes to nothing it looks as if he accomplishes nothing people were expecting a messiah to come with with power and muscle and grit and political sway and yet he came unto his own and his own received him not why because he came according to the flesh the incomparable person number two write it down the indisputable proof of Christ and this is who he is, fully God, fully man. And this is how he proved that he was that. Look at verse 4. And and declared, and this same person, Jesus Christ our Lord, was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness through what? By what? According to what? In in what way was he declared to be the Son of God according with power? By the resurrection from the dead. He said, watch, watch, watch. This is why they have a problem with Jesus, because Messiahs don't die. Gods don't die. They live, they rule, they conquer. They don't get arrested and beat up and mocked and whipped and scourged, and crucified. They they don't don't leave their people destitute, running throughout the world. And yet Philippians chapter 2, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. What kind of death? Even the death of the cross. And Jesus, our Messiah, fully God, fully man, became obedient to death. But what death? The death of a substitutionary death on the cross in our place for our sin because we needed a Savior to redeem us to God. And Paul will come back with that. He'll deal with the death of Christ in chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 8. And I cannot wait to get to those chapters. But for now... All he says is that this Christ came, declared to be the Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness. Why? Because he raised from the dead. That's why. He says two things about this resurrection from the dead. He says first that he was raised in purity. Look at the verse. According to the Spirit of holiness. Do you see that? The Christ raised from the dead according to what? According to the spirit of holiness. You say, why would he add that? Here's why. Because dealing with the dead is dark business. How many of you know what I mean? Because dealing with the dead is a dark business. When, When King Saul wanted to commune with the dead in 1 Samuel chapter 28, who did he consult? He consulted the witch of Endor. If you wanted to deal with the dead, you needed a witch, a sorcerer, a medium. You needed black magic. All of these things which were an abomination in Israel. They were an abomination in the sight of God. When the dead are dead, leave them alone. That is a wonderful policy to have. You don't talk to the dead. You don't touch the dead. You don't, you don't do any of that with the dead. So Paul stresses this. Christ was dead, but He was raised not with some sort of evil, dark spirit, but with the spirit of holiness which is, or by the Spirit of God marked by holiness. Which is exactly what our choir saying about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's three times over holiness. Why? Because God the Father is holy, because God the Son is holy, and because God the Holy Spirit is holy. Christ was raised from the dead, not through sorcery, but through the Spirit of holiness. He was raised in purity. He's not just raised in purity, he's also raised in power. Declared to be the Son of God with power. Do you see that verse? Verse number four. The very first phrase. He's declared to be the Son of God because He raised from the dead in purity, but also declared to be the Son of God because He's raised from the dead in power. The point is not, the point is not that Christ was not the Son of God before the resurrection. The point is the resurrection Christ being raised from the dead according to the spirit of purity but also demonstrating His own power. That God being in the form of flesh, being in the form of man, became obedient unto death. He humbled himself. He knew the lowliness of man. He knew knew the human limitation as man. You read all throughout the Gospels, you'll find him crying. You'll find him tired. You'll find him hungry. You'll find him sleeping. You'll find him doing all of these same human limitations as as we have, yet he was filled with power. Listen to it in Philippians 2. Equal with God but made himself of no reputation, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen, verse number 10, verse number 11, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it is a way to say this. This is a practical implication for you and for me. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept and obey everything he said. And if he did not rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time this morning. This is the issue on which every other thing hangs. Want proof of that? Read first first corinthians 15 or chapter 15 verse 1 down to like verse 8 paul said this is the issue if, if christ did not resurrect from the dead if he died like everybody else then what are we gathering together for this morning but if christ is raised from the dead that this changes everything Oh, he's the incomparable person, but it's the indisputable proof of Christ. Look at the verse first from before again, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If he beat death, he can handle your bills. If he beat death, he can handle your cancer. If he beat death, he can handle that stressful relationship. If he beat death, he can handle that thing at work. If he beat death, he can handle your wayward son, your wayward daughter. If he beat death, he can handle your nagging parents. If he beat death, he can handle that troublesome sister or brother or aunt or uncle. If he beat death, man, he's good for anything else that we throw on him. He's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. We do not gather and sing the praises of the dead Savior. Christ is alive and well this morning and He sits at the right hand of the throne of God and He ever makes intercession for you and for me this morning. And who is Jesus? He's my Lord and my God. That's who He is. And try all you want to drown him out and stomp him out and crucify him out. But you cannot because he is fully God. And a band of religious misfits cannot overthrow an eternal God who sits from, from on his throne forever and ever. Amen. Oh, the infinite provision. Then. Number three, limit last. This is a fun one. I could just preach this sermon every week. How many of you would be okay with that, right? Look at verse 5. By whom? It's a personal pronoun. Look here. It's a personal pronoun. I, I said personal pronoun, and some of you went back to 10th grade English, and all you heard was wah, 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 wah. Like, no, 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 personal pronoun. Pronouns and adjectives and adverbs. This is church, Pastor. Number here's why this matters. Because it's not a what. It's a who. It's not it's not something. This is someone. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, you want to get to God, you want power from God, you want healing, you want help, you want provision, you want it, you got to do these 10 things. And if you do these 10 things, if you have these 32 affirmations, if you live according to these seven principles, if you follow these 10 commandments, then you will get this on the other side. Christianity does not say that. Christianity is by what we receive grace. No, 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 no. By whom? Look at it again, verse number 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for our own good doing, for our own free living. No, 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 for. Why did He give us grace? Why did He give us purpose? Why did He give us calling? For obedience to the faith. Why? Why be obedient to God? Why go after Him? Why pursue Him? Why follow Him? Why? Because He's given us grace. We're obedient to God because He has given us grace. We're not obedient to God so that we earn grace. The infinite provision in Christ. You see. You see. You see. What, what do I have? Two things. Number one, you see the heart of grace. The word "by" it literally means through. So, so think like. A channel like a conduit, it's a it's a pipe, it's a it's a it's a straw, something through which something else flows. Grace flows through. It flows through who? Grace flows through Christ. So, so we're not talking about a plan. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. How do we receive grace? From God. What's what's the conduit? What's the channel? What's the straw? What's the means that it flows through? How does it get to us? Grace gets to us through Jesus Christ. Notice this. You don't earn grace. By whom we have, what's the word? Received grace. Not not what we've earned grace. You can't earn grace. Grace. We've said this over and over here at First Baptist. Our definition of grace, do you remember it? Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. What that means is we do not deserve grace. We do not deserve the gifts that God gives us. We do not deserve these things. But but not just that. That's, That's the limit. That's half of it. But God is in no way obligated to give it. God is not obligated to give grace. God is not obligated to show grace. And yet, this unobligated God, who didn't have to, He chose to. We don't love Him. We we don't choose to love Him first. No, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. He chose to love us. He chose to. God could have said, I'm done with this. These people are rebellious and don't listen and they're hard-hearted and they're hard-headed. How many of you would have been done with us a long time ago? And they're, they're, and, they're, and they're selfish. And all they want is their own way. And all they want to have is their own thing. And they think they're better than me. I'm starting over. How many of you would have started over? I feel that way with my own children. Every parent in the room. Can I get an amen, parents? Yeah, where'd they learn that from? They learned that from us. No, God is unobligated. He have to do this. But the, but the grace that he shows, a grace, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver it's what he gives to you. It's what he gives to me. A grace is something, listen, listen, look here, so important. Grace is something that can only be received, never earned. Because if it is earned, it's not grace. You don't work 40 hours at your job and you go into the HR department on Friday and the head of HR gives you a paycheck and you go, wow, you're so gracious. Thank you for giving me the paycheck that I worked my fingers to the bone for. That's not grace. The the head of HR does not show you grace by giving you your paycheck for 40 hours worked. In fact, if they don't give you your paycheck for 40 hours worked, what are you saying? You ain't going to see me next week until you give me the paycheck for last week. Why? Because you've worked for it. You've earned it. It's owed to you. God does not owe us. God is not in our debt. God is unobligated in what he gives to you and to me. Well, I just think God owes me an answer. We can be very careful about saying that. Well, I, I want to ask God why he did this. Whoa, 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 whoa. You presume and assume way too much. And God is in no way obligated to give. Grace cannot be Earned grace can only be received okay pastor how is grace received how do we how do we receive the gift that this unobligated giver is giving to us how do we receive it that gift of grace is only received through by jesus christ by Jesus Christ. It's why the Gospels say this. Later on in Romans, you'll get to it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Wait, wait this it? Yeah, that's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The heart of grace. Number two, or letter B. The effect of grace. This is it. We're done. And we just started, didn't we? Some of you are like, no. We we actually started a while ago, Pastor. You've been going on. My belly is telling me all about it. The effect. By whom? By Christ. We've received grace. We didn't earn it. We've received it. Grace can only be received. It can't be earned. Notice this. For. For obedience and apostleship. Why does God give us grace by Jesus or through Jesus or from Jesus? Why? For this. I'm giving you grace for this. I'm giving you strength for this. For what then? For obedience to the faith among all nations. What's that last phrase? For his name. It's our theme, isn't it? For his glory. For his name. For his name. So that whatsoever we do in this life, whether we eat or whether we drink, we do all to the glory of God. So that men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Not so men will see you and me and think we're really good people. No, no, you and I are sinful at best, aren't we? Yeah. So that men would see us and they would talk good about our God. For the obedience to the faith. This is where sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we struggle. Because there's more than one kind of obedience, isn't there? See, there are some who only obey because of outward compliance. They're only obeying as a show of religiousness. Right? Outward compliance. Like when I tell my children for the 77th time to pick up their Legos off the floor. Outward compliance. Oh, fine, I'll pick up the Legos. Are they obeying me? Oh, uh, yeah. Is that the way I want them to obey me? Some of us are saying, we'll take whatever we can get, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Is that the way we want them to obey? No, no. We'll say, hey, I, 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 come back. Let's try that again. Go pick up your Legos. So, so there's, there's more than one kind of obedience. There's an obedience that's this, this outward compliance, which is false religion, the, the, I'm, I got to go to church. I got to give. I got to sing. I got to serve. I got, I got, I got. It's outward compliance. Uh. Is he still talking? You didn't know I could read minds, did you? I can read minds. So there's, a, there's a kind of obedience that's outward compliance. But notice what he says. To the obedience, or for the obedience to the faith. Which is this. There's a kind of obedience and this is what God is after. This is what God is after in you. This is what God is after in me for this entire year. There's a kind of obedience that's outward compliance. And then there's a kind of obedience that's glad submission to God. It's glad submission to God. Okay, God, I'm glad... I will gladly submit to you. You're my master. I'm your servant. I'll gladly yield these things to you because of the grace you've shown me. So I'm talking about that attitude you have. I'm talking about that addiction you're battling. I'm talking about that website you keep going back to. I'm talking about that flirtatious relationship you have in the office that you know is wrong. I'm talking about the way you treat a brother or sister in Christ. I'm talking about the way you walked in the church this morning or the way you'll walk in tonight. I'm talking about the way you give in the offering. There's a kind of obedience to God that's glad submission. God, I see the grace you've given me. I see all you've done for me, what you accomplished for me in Christ. Glad submission. Verse, outward compliance. Some of you don't walk through the church hallways like that, but some of you do. We see you coming and we hide the other way. So I'm asked this is the decision for today. They said we're done. You're this you're this week. You're this week. Will it be glad submission to God? For grace for Obedience to the faith. Grace four. Grace is not this one-time thing you get from God. No. Man, his mercies are new every single day. The believer wakes up and goes, Thank you, God, for another day. Now I yield myself to you. I surrender my spirit to you. My life, Lord, yours my heart, I surrender to you. I'll come thou fount for every blessing and tune my heart to sing thy praise. How many of you say, Pastor, that's what I want in my life? Me too. I want it in mine and I want it for you.